Colossians chapter 2, if you'd go there with me this morning. We've been in a series together over the last several weeks that we've called Established in the Faith. And I believe we're coming to the end of it today. Of course, there's so much more to be said that could be said. Um, But I'm so thankful for what the Lord's told us this far. We've looked at this verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And I want to look there again together. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6. Established in the faith. Thank you, Lord. Look one more time at what this says. Colossians 2, verse 6. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, what are you supposed to do? Walk in him. As you've received him, walk in him. The same way you received him is the way you walk in him. It's also the way you walk with him. And I want you to notice again in verse 7 what happens if you'll keep walking in him. The result will be, verse 7, you'll be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now look here what it's connected to. As you have been taught. See, this is what our goal is. Sarah and I and our team, our staff, it's what we believe the Lord has in store for us and for the for you, the family of this church, that as you come on a regular basis and hear the word taught week after week after week, that what it's doing is having an effect in your life and it's bringing you from a place where you're not rooted to where you are rooted. Where you used to be weak, you're built up. Where you weren't established as the result of hearing the word and not just hearing it, but being a doer of it, you become established in the faith. Now, this started with him saying, as you have received Jesus, then walk in him. And we've, we've made a point out of this, but let me say it again. Receiving Jesus as the Lord of your life has eternal implications. It is the greatest, most important decision you or anybody else has ever made or will ever make. To, to make Jesus your Lord, for you to quit being your own God, for you to quit being your own Lord, For you to quit calling your own shots, directing your own steps, and to give that responsibility to him. This is what it is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus, I'm done being God. I am done being Lord. I need a savior. I can't save myself. I can't do it on my own. I need you, Lord Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, when you made him the Lord of your life, man, I don't know that we know everything that happened. I do know that he brought us out of darkness into light. I, knew, I do know that he brought us out of death into life, from unrighteousness to righteous in him. I know that we began moving out right there and then from sick and disease to healed and made whole, from broke and in lack and in poverty to living in a... I know that's what happened in that moment. We began making our way out of one thing and into something else. But what he's saying here is, as wonderful as that is to receive him as your Lord, don't stop there. What are you supposed to do next? Keep walking in him. And the same way that you received him is the way that you walk in him. Now, is there anybody in here that would raise a hand and, and, and suggest to perhaps anybody in the room that has not received Jesus as the Lord? Is there anybody that would say, I recommend you do that? <laughs> do I have any witnesses in here this morning that say, that's a good decision. You need to go ahead and make that decision. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Why don't we just say it out loud right now? Say, Father in heaven, I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Take my life, Lord Jesus. Do something with it. I call you Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, if you believed in your heart, said it with your mouth, the Bible says you're saved. You're saved. I guess the next question is, saved from what? Well, saved from hell and eternity, thank God. Hell is a real place and it was not created for you or for me or for any other man. It was created for the devil and his bunch, but it was not created for us. And when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, he saved you 
from hell in eternity. Anybody happy about that? Oh, thank you, Lord. But guess what else he saved you from? Hell on earth. It's a good thing to be saved from hell in eternity. It's a good thing to be saved from hell on earth. Thank you, Lord. You don't have to live hell on earth. You and I can live days of heaven on earth. If, if what? Keep walking in him. The same way you received him is the way you walk in him. And this is what it is to be established in the faith. Because as wonderful as it is to make Jesus the Lord of your life, what did not happen in that moment is you did not get rooted right then. You did not get built up right then. You, you were not established in your faith in a few moments or overnight. Those things are the result of walking in him, walking with him. And this is what our vision is for this church and this church family is that we've got a bunch of people and I realize we're all at different places on the road, different places in our walk with him. But the end result that we desire for the word that's being preached to have in your life is that you become rooted built up and established in him. Amen. Established in the faith. Just as a quick way of review, we, we talked about several things all the way back several weeks ago. Part one, we, we talked about identifying the path that leads to life. And this is what it means to be established. It means the word itself literally means to turn resolutely in a certain direction and take that direction. What road are you on in this life? What path are you taking? And according to the scriptures, there's really only two paths that anybody can be on. It's the path to death or the path to life. And we talked about what it is that got us off that path and that road to death. It was the mercy of the Lord. I said it was the mercy of the Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we all at one time walked according to the course of this world. But how'd you get off that path? God, who is rich in mercy, he took you off that path. How'd you get that mercy? You told him you wanted it. You told him you needed it. You repented. And I think for a lot of people, that's a, that's a bad word. It's not a bad word at all. It's a gift. It is your way off the road that leads to death on to the road that leads to life. Mercy, 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 mercy. God, who is rich in mercy. You know what rich in mercy means? He's got more than enough. He's got enough mercy to cover your stuff, to cover my stuff. He's got enough mercy to cover all the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. Every person on this planet could call on the mercy of God all at once, and his account would not begin to run dry. He's so rich in mercy. How do you get off the path to death onto the path to life? Mercy. Now, we went on to talk about from there uh, the, the next step in, in having our steps directed by him. It's so simple. Acknowledge him. The Bible says, if you will acknowledge him in how many of your ways? All your ways. He will direct your steps. So whatever, to whatever degree you're willing to acknowledge him, that's the degree to which he is able to direct your steps. So if you will acknowledge him in some of your ways, how many of your steps do you get directed? Some, which is a lot better than none. And that's the way most people are living. Most of this world is not waking up every day acknowledging God. But if you'll acknowledge him in, in a few of your ways, he'll direct you in a few of your ways. If you will acknowledge him in a lot of your ways, he will direct you in a lot of your ways. But... If you will acknowledge him in all your ways, he will direct all your steps. If you will acknowledge the existence of God, if you'll acknowledge the plan of God, if you'll acknowledge the help of God, if you'll acknowledge the love of God, if you'll acknowledge the wisdom of God, if you'll wake up every morning going, good morning, Lord. If you'll walk throughout your day going, Father, what do you think about this? Where do I go here? What do I do there? Lord, you've got a good plan. Lord, you've got a good will. I'm not taking a step until I know it. I'm not moving until I receive something from you, some direction. What are you doing? Just acknowledging him, acknowledging him. 
Lord, we've got a thing going on here in our finances. We acknowledge you in this. We believe you've got a plan for us. You've got a way out of hard times. Lord, I acknowledge you in my marriage. I believe you've got something good for my marriage and my family. I acknowledge you with my children. I acknowledge you in in my business. I acknowledge you in my church. I acknowledge you in my ministry. Guess how many ways you get directed? Every one of those ways. Because you're willing to acknowledge him. Then we went on to talk about in part three of this, what it means to dig deep. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, hears my word and does what he hears. He's like the person who digs deep and builds his house on the rock. That's being established, right? To have a house established on the rock. And he said, when the winds blow and the rains fall and the floods rise, when it's all settled, that house will still be standing there. Why? Because that man, that woman didn't just come to Jesus, didn't just hear his word, but they did what? They were a doer of the word that they heard. What are you doing with the word that you heard? What are you doing with the word that you heard? What are you doing with the word that you heard? I'm saying it like that because I want you to, when you leave this place, I want that, that nasally annoying voice just rolling around in your head and heart. I just hear my pastor say it all the time. What are you doing with the word that you heard? What are you doing with the word that you heard? I want it sticking with you. I want it coming up in you all the time. What am I doing with the word I've heard? What am I doing with the word I've heard? It's a good thing to come to Jesus. It's a good thing to hear his word. But if you don't put it into practice, it's the same as never hearing it. You're getting the exact same results as somebody who never even heard it. So, what are you doing with the word that you heard? (laughs) What are you doing? Put it into practice and your life will be built on the rock. We talked in part four of this series about clinging to our confession. That confession we just made together that Jesus is our Lord. That's the way you received him. That's the way you walk in him. We talked about how in the next part, how to be a good receiver. You receive Jesus by grace through faith. You walk in him. How? By grace through faith. You receive from him by grace through faith. These things don't just fall on you. Sadly, there are so many Christians who believe God is good, who believe God wants to bless them, believe God is able to strengthen them, to bless them in every area of their life, and they're just sort of standing there waiting for it, waiting for it to just fall on them, or waiting waiting until they just sort of seem to trip over it. That's not how these things happen. You received Jesus by grace through faith. Now you receive from Jesus by grace through faith. Does that make sense to you? Some of you. Okay. And then finally last week we talked about the courage to carry on. We all need some encouragement, do we not? On this life, this road that God's called us to walk on, we've already established this well, that there's pressure on this road. And it's the pressure to get off the road. It's the pressure to take another road. And we all need some encouragement along this road that we're on. And just like your car, if it's going to keep going, at some point it's going to need some gas. It's going to need some fuel. Well, the same way, same thing's true about you and me. If we're going to keep going, we're going to need some encouragement. And encouragement is like fuel in our tank. Keep going, keep going, keep going. We talked about three places we get this encouragement. Number one, we get it from the encourager. That's the Holy Spirit. Number two, we get it from ourselves. David, the Bible says, encouraged himself in the Lord. And then finally, number three, we get it from each other. Every one of us are called to be encouragers for each other and to each other. How many times a day? Do you stand face to face with somebody who's on the verge of quitting? Who's just about to fall away, to back off, whatever it is. They are just about to quit. Quit their marriage, quit their job, quit their family, quit their church. And you don't know how many times a day you might stand in front of somebody who's just just a few steps away from quitting. And the Lord would give you a word to encourage them. to To put fuel in the tank that just says what? Keep going, brother. Keep going, sister. Don't draw back now. Don't give up now. You are so close to this miracle. You are so close to this breakthrough. Don't draw back now. 
And this is what's supposed to be happening all throughout this congregation. Every time you and I get together, I'm doing my best that I know how and by the grace of God to put, to put gas in your tank, to put some fuel in your tank. But you've got something that somebody else needs. And before you leave this place, week after week, you ought to be just looking around. Lord, who needs what you've given me? Hmm? Who, needs, who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs a few extra dollars put in their hand? Who needs something that I've got? And you don't know. But you might be pulling somebody back from the edge of quitting. Amen. Finally, let's wrap this up today. And look one more time here at Colossians chapter 2. I want to pull out one more phrase in this that I believe has everything to do with you and I being established in our faith. Now, from the moment I walked in this room this morning, i got to give you fair warning. I sensed such a spirit of praise in this place. I don't know if anybody else saw that or not. But in our time of praise and worship today, in our testimonies, in our giving, there is a spirit of praise in this place. And I believe the Lord wants to do something with that. Look at this in Colossians chapter 2, one more time, verse 6. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, now listen to this phrase, abounding in it with what? Thanksgiving. Now, some of your Bibles might have a cross-reference here. You see these two little words, in it. I know my Bible here has a cross-reference that says in the original text, it omits both of those words. So those words perhaps were put there by the translators. And if you read it the way the original text reads, he talks about being rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving abounding with thanksgiving. Listen to it from the New Living Translation. Verse 7 says, Colossians 2, Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow. Oh, come on. We're already talking about overflow. I can't wait till October for overflow. You will overflow with thankfulness. You will abound with thanksgiving. You will overflow with thankfulness. You show me a truly thankful person, I will show you somebody who's established in their faith. This is one of the chief characteristics of a person who is really living and walking by faith. They're overflowing with thankfulness. They are abounding with thanksgiving. Now let me ask you something. Take, take count here. Take stock. From what part of your being do you suppose thanksgiving would overflow from? Would overflow out of? It's coming out of your mouth. I said it's going to have to come out of your mouth. And people think, well, you know, I'm just so thankful in my heart. Maybe, but you ain't overflowing yet. You are not overflowing until it's coming out of your mouth. And the reason I say this in connection to faith, and this is something I learned from Sarah years ago. This is a statement the Lord gave her. Thanksgiving is the language of faith. This is how faith talks. Now, if you're familiar with some of the same teaching I'm familiar with and grew up in, and you see it in the word that faith is expressed by our words. We talked about that. Cling to your confession. And we're taught, and I'm going to teach you about it. We all need to learn about this, that, that our faith is expressed by the words coming out of our mouth. And, and so we're supposed to watch those words and, 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 and confess what we believe, not just what we see. And, and you, we've all heard about our, our good confession, our positive confession. But even more so than just words of faith that have to do with, a, you know, I believe I'm healed or I believe I receive. These are good, good things to say. These are things of faith that you can say. But one of, the, one of the most clear indicators that somebody is really, truly in faith, listen to me now, and not faking it, 
There is such a thing as a fake faith. One of the indicators that somebody is in genuine, real faith is that thanksgiving is overflowing. That they are constantly abounding with thankfulness and thanksgiving. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, this was in our Bible reading last week. We're reading a chapter a day together, every day, Monday through Friday. And we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 16. Listen to these words. He said, rejoice. How often? Verse 17, pray. How often? Without ceasing. Verse 18, and in everything... Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, do what? Give thanks. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. You know, if we let... I think the lives of most Christians interpret that scripture. It would probably read more like this. Rejoice when you feel like it. Pray when you've got a minute. And give thanks when things are good. But is that what he said? No, help me out. Rejoice always. Okay, here's that spirit of praise. Rejoice how often? Always. Pray how often? Without ceasing. And do what in everything? Give thanks. Other translations say in every circumstance, give thanks. So we're supposed to be rejoicing all the time, all the time, all the time. This is what somebody who is established in their faith, this is what life looks like. This is what life sounds like. They are rejoicing, not just when they feel like it, Mm -mm. They are rejoicing always. These people are praying, not just when they remember to, not just when they've got a minute, and not just when things are so bad. Oh my goodness, prayer, has it come to that? No, this is a lifestyle of prayer. This is praying all the time. Now, it's not about constantly being in a prayer. You can't go through life on your knees in prayer. You can, it doesn't work. He's saying, don't stop. Don't give up on praying. Don't cease praying. And in everything, what are you supposed to be doing? Giving thanks. In every situation, in every circumstance, you and I are supposed to not just be giving thanks, but to be overflowing with it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as believers... You and I, of all people on the planet, we've got something to be thankful for. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Like what, you're asking? We're saved. Now, we already went over this. Hell is not in my future. All glory to God. Hell is not my eternity. Heaven is my eternity. The presence of God is my eternity. We have got so much to be thankful for. We've got a savior. We've got a healer. We've got a deliverer. We've got one who was rich, but for our sake was made poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich. We got a lot to be thankful for. And if you knew what you had to be thankful for, rejoicing always would be easy. Maybe we should try it right now. Rejoice always. Uh -uh. You do not rejoice sitting down. Oh, come on, you got to rejoice. Get on your feet and rejoice right now. Oh, Lord, we rejoice in you. God, you've been so good to us. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Oh, Lord, we glorify you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for delivering us. Oh, we worship and praise and worship and praise and worship and praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, listen to me. You know what you and I just did? You want to know what that's called? It's called a praise break. And you can have one anytime you want. 
You can have a praise break anytime throughout the day, no matter what's going on around you. You can just say, oh, praise break. And you just stand up and you just do a little dance and you thank the law. You've been so good to me, Lord. You've been so faithful. I just want to praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. Sit back down and go to work. Sit down. Go ahead. Sit down. See, now you know. And if at any point throughout the rest of this service today, you hear me say, praise break. You know what to do. And you know you can't do it sitting down. I'm telling you, the spirit of praise is on this place. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Now, notice he said, in everything, not for everything. In every situation, in every circumstance. Now, here's what I know about every situation. In every situation, there is something to be thankful for, and there is something to complain about. In every situation. I know that to be true. I know that because no matter how good things are, there are people that can find something to complain about. Don't raise your hand. No matter how good things are, no matter how great things are going, there are people, Debbie Downer, you know what I mean? They can find something to complain about, something that's not right. But right on the other hand, no matter how bad things are, there are people that can find something to thank God for. Is that us? That's us. You know what that makes us? A bunch of crazy people. Now, I said crazy. I said, I did not say crazy. I said crazy. We are a bunch of crazy people. What are crazy people? Crazy people are the ones who can find something to thank God for, no matter what's going on. Crazy people are the ones that are constantly overflowing with thanksgiving, with gratitude. That's crazy people. No matter what the diagnosis is. Hmm? No matter what the shortage is, no matter what the lack is, no matter how much it's going to cost, no matter what they do or don't have in the bank, no matter how they're feeling, no matter what it looks like, they can find something to thank God for. Well, the sun's up. And people will look at you like you're crazy because you got a smile on your face in the middle of something hard and bad and what everybody else would call hopeless and terrible. But you're finding something to be thankful for. I got breath in my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can see. I can hear. Oh, thank you, Lord. You have been good. Well, you brought me out before. You'll bring me out again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. As a matter of fact, Thanksgiving is the mode that faith people go into as soon as the pressure's on. As soon as they're faced with an attack, they go right into thanksgiving mode. Thanksgiving mode. They begin to overflow with gratitude, overflow with thanksgiving. Do you know that you can thank your way to victory? You can thank your way out of whatever problem you are in. You don't have to turn there, but listen to these scriptures. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he said, thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14, he said, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Did you notice the connection between thanking God and your victory? Thanking God and your triumph? Now, we all, of course, love the sound of victory and triumph. Just the words themselves get us excited. But if you have victory, if you got triumph, evidently you were in a fight. Victory is the result of a fight. Triumph is coming out on the, the good end of a fight. And I want you to notice here the connection between your thanksgiving to God and your victory. Faith people... Faith people see everything in a different way than everybody else. 
in every situation, there are two things that you could be looking at. In every situation, there's something to be thankful for. There's something, something to complain about. And whatever your eyes are on, that's what you're going to be overflowing with out of your mouth. How do we know if you're in faith when you're overflowing with thanksgiving? And if you're overflowing with thanksgiving, then we know what you're looking at. Even in the middle of pressure, even in the middle of a problem, if you're overflowing with thanksgiving, we know you're looking at the right thing. But when you're overflowing with complaining, when you're overflowing with griping and grumbling and finding something wrong, we know, we know what you're looking at. Have you noticed that you tend to go the direction you're looking in? Think about while you're driving. Something to the left, something to the right catches your attention. And let's say you look over there, even for a second. Have you ever noticed this before? By the time you look back in front of you, you have begun to veer over into that direction. Whichever way it is. This is a spiritual principle. Your life is going in the direction you're looking. Your life is going in whatever direction you are looking in. And in any situation, in any circumstance, there are two things you can be looking at. You can either be looking at the problem, and if you are, you're going to overflow with complaint. Or you can be looking at Jesus. And if you are, you're going to overflow with thanksgiving. It just depends on what you're looking at. Your life's going in the direction you're looking at. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians with me, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's not right now, but in just a few minutes, I can feel a praise break coming. Second Corinthians chapter four. Thank you, Lord. We've gotten into this thing around our house. Our kids have been talking so much about Jesus coming back. That's a good thing. Of course, they ask me questions about it and over and over. My answer is, buddy, I don't know, sweetie. I'm not sure, but they've got Jesus coming back on their mind. My son in particular, he's talking about it all the time. As he hears us talking about current events and news and things, he's like, oh, Jesus is coming back. He'll probably be back before the end of the year. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We were talking football the other day. The, the football season just started. And I, and I asked him, he knows more about this stuff than I do. I said, buddy, where's this such and such quarterback? He's like, oh, he, he got traded from that team to this other team. And they traded him for two first round draft picks in 2024. But Jesus will probably be back before that. <laughs> He's laughing at this team who took draft picks two years from now. He's thinking they're not even going to get their draft picks. Jesus is coming back. That's looking forward to it. That's, that's somebody who's got something to be thankful for. Overflow. When, 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 the, when the rapture is connected to your football conversation, you are overflowing with Thanksgiving. And so we've just, we're just talking about it in the house. And I like doing this now. We'll just be standing in the kitchen. And they'll bring up something about the rapture. And you know, well, Do you think Jesus will be back? Do you think he'll be back then? And I'll say, I don't know. He could be coming back right now. Right now. So if you hear me say, praise break. Jesus come back. Something to be thankful for. Second Corinthians chapter four. Look at this in verse seven. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now verse eight, he said, we are hard pressed. He's talking about pressure. He said, we're hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He said, we are perplexed. Did you catch that? We're pressed. We're perplexed. Perplexed just means we got questions. Perplexed just means there are some questions that we don't know the answers to. He said, however, we're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted. 
That has to do with that pressure again, the pressure to get you off this road and path that's leading to life, pressing you, pressuring you onto another road. He said, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Now, any one of those things would be more than enough for most people to start crying about. Being pressed and hard pressed on every side would be more than enough reason for, for most people to find something to complain about. But I want you to hear the tone of faith in what the Spirit of God is saying here. He's not ignoring the fact that he's being pressed. He's not pretending that pressure's not there. He said, oh no, we're pressed, man. And we're not just pressed, we're hard pressed. And we're not just hard pressed, but we're hard pressed on every side. That's pressure in front of you, behind you, to your left and to your right. That's pressure uh, being applied to you in every area of your life. And I want you to notice, though, his tone. Yeah, I'm pressed, but. Oh, man, that's a powerful word. I am pressed, but I am not crushed. Well, there's something to be thankful for. We're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed. Yeah, we got questions. And that alone would be enough to send most people into a, a tailspin, a spiral downward in life. We just have so many questions and I just don't understand. And I just don't get it. If God is God and if God is love, then how could he let this happen to me? And how could this be happening in the world? And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. People get depressed over their questions. And Paul's not saying, yeah, I got all the answers. No, he said, look, I got it. We got questions. I'm perplexed. There's some stuff I don't know. He very famously said, we know in part. But the difference between him, this man of faith, and most of the rest of this world is not that he doesn't have questions when they do. No, he's got the same questions. He's just not in despair about it. He's just not letting the question drag him down. He's just not letting what he doesn't know depress him. Instead, he starts rejoicing over what he does know, right? Pressured, yes. Perplexed, yes. Persecuted, yeah. You better believe it. He experienced some serious persecution. And what persecution looks and feels like on the outside, it looks like everybody has bailed on you. It looks like you are all on your own. But he said, I am persecuted, but... I am not forsaken. Struck down, maybe, but I am not destroyed. I'm telling you, in every situation, there is something to be thankful for. There is something to complain about. And it all depends on what you're looking at. He goes on to say, in, uh, skip down to verse 13. You can see what he's talking about here. Since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. This is the difference. This is the difference between us and the rest of this world. The rest of this world feels, therefore they speak. The rest of this world sees, therefore they speak. Not us. We do not live by what we see. We do not live by what we feel. We live and walk by faith. We live by what we believe, not what we see, what we believe. We believe, therefore, we speak. And we believe something regardless of what it looks like. We believe the word regardless of what it feels like. And I speak not according to what I see and feel, but according to what I believe. This is when Thanksgiving begins to come out of your mouth. I'm sorry to inform you, you've got a really bad diagnosis here, and there's nothing else we can do about it. That's what you see, that's what you feel. What do you believe? Huh? Because if you will believe the word, then you will believe that by his stripes you were healed, and if you were healed, then you are healed. And even just on the heels of you've got something terminal, what can come out of your mouth? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking stripes on your back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking all my sin, condemnation, and shame. Because of what you did, I'm free. Because of what you did, I'm righteous. Because of what you did, I am healed in Jesus' name. Thankful, 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 thankful. 
overflowing with it. And it takes a crazy person to overflow with thanksgiving when they've been given a bad diagnosis. He said, we believe, therefore we speak. Now notice what this is connected to. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, will present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound, to overflow to the glory of God. Now verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Do you notice that? Our light affliction. What's he talking about? Being hard pressed on every side. Being being, uh, perplexed. Being persecuted. Being struck down. You know what he called all of that? Light affliction. Sometimes that's what you got to say to problems. Say what? Come on, say it with me. What's that mean? It means whatever's, whatever I'm facing isn't even worthy of an actual word. He called it light affliction. Notice this. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look, are you paying attention? We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I told you in every situation, there are two things that you can be looking at. You can be looking at the problem, and if you are, you're going to overflow with complaining. You can be looking at Jesus, and if you are, you're going to overflow with thanksgiving. And here he's telling you what the difference is between those two things. He's saying, we do not look at the things that are seen, because those things are temporary. We look at the things that are not seen, because that's what's eternal. If you are busy all the time looking at what you can see, what you can feel, then you are going to be constantly complaining about it. But if you will learn to look at the unseen, look at what you can't see, look over into eternity, you will have something to be thankful for. And this is why he said, look, the outward man, this stuff, this flesh, he said it's perishing. And that fact alone, this is what you can see, right? You can see the outward man. That fact alone has got people so depressed. The fact that the outward man is perishing. I don't care how old or young you are. This outward man, this outward being is on its way out. The outward man is perishing. And I'm telling you, it's got people so depressed. It's got people so upset. They look in the mirror and it doesn't look the same that it did 20 years ago. This is why it's a multi-billion dollar industry trying to fix this thing and improve this thing and nip this and tuck that and work this out and diet that. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but you've got to understand this thing's perishing. This thing is already on its way out. I know about three years ago. I crossed over that threshold from 30s to 40s. And I love being in my 40s. I think it's great. I will tell you, I've noticed a few differences. <laughs> One of the big things I've noticed in my 40s is I can see my eyebrows. I'm not talking about in the mirror. I'm talking about just looking out these eyeballs. Oh, there they are. Cause they just started growing all weird and wonky and that's just the hair right here. Not to mention the stuff coming out the ears and the nose. And it's like, what's this about? Why do I need an ear full of hair? God, what's the deal? There's all kinds of stuff that's new and different about this age of life. But I'm gonna tell you something. It's nothing to be depressed about. Huh? Why? Cause I got an inward man. His eyebrows look good. I got an inward man and he is in good shape. 
I got an inward man that doesn't have to wear these coats that cover this belly that just sort of wants to fold over the waistline. Whatever, 40s. But I got an inward man. Somebody say, I got an inward man. See, we're developing these characters right now for our children's ministry. We've got outward man and inward man. The adventures of outward man and inward man. An outward man, he's just sluggish. He's kind of lazy. He's always depressed. He's always complaining. But then you got inward man who's always up and thankful and strong and encouraged and encouraging. Outward man and inward man. Which one are you looking at? Because if all you're doing is looking at outward man, you're going to have plenty. Let me change that. I would have plenty to complain about. But the inward man, the inward man's being renewed day by day. Church, if we could ever learn to look into the invisible, learn to see into the unseen, into what's eternal, into this exceeding and eternal weight of glory that's working in us, that's working for us, let the pressure come. Let the, let, let the questions come. Let the persecution come. Yeah, maybe they do, they do knock you down, but you're not knocked out. You're not destroyed. You're not crushed because of this exceeding and eternal weight of glory working in you. That's something to be thankful for. I said, that's something to be thankful for. Praise break. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for this, this weight of glory working in us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, glory to God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Oh, we thank you, church. Listen to me. When the pressure's on, it's going to crush you unless you got something in you that's pushing back. When you got questions, it's going to depress you unless you begin to meditate on what you do know. I do know I got a savior. I do know I have a healer. I do know I have a deliverer. I've got a God that loves me and he's for me. He's not against me. He's working in me and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is how you pull yourself up. This is how you pull yourself out. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Sit down. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Musicians, you guys begin to come. I want you to go with me back to the Old Testament. I want to give you a good example of this. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Hallelujah. Thanksgiving and praise is the faith response to any attack. Thanksgiving and praise is the faith response to any attack. What are you looking at? Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to read nearly this whole thing too. It's a powerful story. It says in verse one, this is about King Jehoshaphat. And yes, that is fat with a PH. Literally. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Is this pressure? Oh, yeah. And it's not just pressure from one direction. He's got it coming from all sides. Two or three or more countries all decided that they're coming for Jehoshaphat. They're coming for Judah. Verse 2, some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea and Syria. And they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Yeti. And Jehoshaphat feared, listen to this, and set himself to seek the Lord. This is the right response right here. Man, when you've got feelings of fear and that spirit of fear trying to work in you, trying to settle on you because of the pressure that's come against you, this is what you do right here. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Can you imagine that? It's hard for you and I to imagine that a king, it'd be like our president coming on TV and saying, you know, Russia and China and Iran and Turkey and, and all these nations have decided to attack the United States. It'd be like our president going, let's all pray. See, you can't even, <laughs> you're like, doesn't even make sense to you. But that's what's happening here. The, the leader of the nation is saying, let's, let's fast. Let's set ourselves to seek the Lord. And that's what they did. 
He proclaimed a fast. Verse four, Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, now listen to this prayer of all the prayers in all the Bible. This one is one of my absolute favorites. Listen to his prayer. He said, Oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Oh, what's he doing? Hmm? What's he doing? Is he, is he talking about the problem? Is he, he's talking about the pressure, talking about all the persecution and the people, right? That are coming against him. No, what does he start doing? He starts talking about how big and bad his God is. He starts talking about all these good things, great things that God has done. He starts magnifying God. And this is what the psalmist said. Come magnify the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before, but when you magnify something, people, I ask them that. I say, well, what happens when you magnify? And they say, well, it gets bigger. And that's not really true. When you magnify something, you're not actually changing its size. You're just changing how big it is to you. You're just changing how big it is in your eyes. So as we magnify God, we're not making God bigger. He's already as big as big gets. He's just getting bigger to us. He's just getting bigger in our eyes. And Jehoshaphat is just magnifying God, making God bigger and bigger in his eyes. He said in verse 7, are you not God? Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwelt in it and you built you a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine. Sounds like pressure, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. He said, if it comes upon us, we will stand before this temple in your presence for your name is in this temple and we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. He says in verse 10, now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. He said, they're coming for our land. You gave us this land, Lord, and they're coming for it. They're coming to try to take away what you gave us. And he said in verse 11, here they are. Rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Listen, are you ready for this? Listen. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Man, that statement right there. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Does that not sound like perplexed? Is this pressure coming against them? Are they perplexed? What do we do about this? This is like three or four countries versus one. What are we going to do? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In every situation, there are two things you can be looking at. You can be looking at the problem or you can be looking at your father. You can be looking at the pressure or you can be looking at Jesus. What is he saying here? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It says in verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And I want you to notice what happened as a result of this prayer. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, and a Levite, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Tomorrow, go down against them. They'll surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll be able to find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will, I love it, verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Come on, this is a good word. I said, this is a good word. In the middle of this pressure, in response to this attack, they set themselves to seek the Lord. They're fasting, they're praying, and here comes this word of the Lord. When Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'm not, I'm not looking at these countries coming to attack. I'm not looking at them coming to steal what you gave me. My eyes are on you. Your life is following the direction you're looking in. And they get this word from the Lord that says, you're not going to fight. The Lord's going to fight this battle for you. And listen to how they responded to it. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. This is what you do. When you get a word from God like this, this is what you do. And how you respond to that word indicates whether or not you believe it. If the word of the Lord comes to you saying, you're not going to have to fight this fight. And you worship and praise That means you believed it. But if the word of the Lord comes to you and says, you're not going to have to fight this fight. And you say, oh, really? Who's going to fight it? What do you want me to do? Stand still? Yes. I can't stand still. I got to fight. I got to get some more help. How you respond to the word dictates and demonstrates what you believe about it. It says the Levites, verse 19, the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up and to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, now listen to this, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is so cool. You ready for this? Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in the Lord and you'll be established. You'll be fixed. They won't be able to take you out of what God has given you if you'll believe him. So when he gives you this word that says, I'm going to fight for you, you still have to believe it. And if you will believe that word, you'll be established. Believe in the Lord, your God, You'll be established. Believe his his prophets and you will prosper. When he had consulted with the people, he had pointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, you know, you're a crazy people borderline crazy people. When you are going out and there's three armies coming against you and you know who you send out first? The band. That don't make sense. That does not compute with this natural way of thinking. And if you have your eyes on the pressure that's coming against you, you don't send the band out, do you? Huh? You don't send guitars, you send guns. Huh? You don't you don't send singers, you send you send spears, but not these crazy people. No, they got a word from God. And their word from God said, I'm gonna fight for you. So what's left to do? Huh? If you believe this word, what's the right response? No, listen, listen. Thank you. If you believe that word, the response is, thank you. Oh, hey, it's, it's fine. It's okay, everybody. It's okay. God's fighting for us. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I thought we were going to have to fight this fight. Woohoo! that was close. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for going out to fight for us. Thank you. We're just going to stand still and watch you fight. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. As a matter of fact, we're just going to send the band out there. Matter of fact, all you singers, all you players, come on up. Y'all just begin to praise the Lord. What you want us to sing? Sing that one about his mercy. Oh, he is good and his mercy endures. He is good and his mercy endures. Now, I don't know how the band felt about this. 
Because normally they're singing and playing after the victory. All but faith people don't wait till it's done to start thanking God. They start thanking God. They go into thank you mode as soon as the attack is on. As soon as the pressure comes, they start thinking. They start praising God. And they sent all these praisers out and all these men and women thanking God and praising God and worshiping God. And the story goes on to say that when they began to praise God, God began to fight for them. And these armies that had gotten together to attack Judah, all of a sudden, they start fighting each other. They start thinking, I don't like you. Yeah, and I don't like you either. And these two armies start going at each other till they, they, sorry, these two armies turned on one. They slaughtered that whole army. And then all of a sudden, these two thought, well, I don't like you much either. They all killed each other. And by the time the praisers and the people of Judah showed up, they stood out there and it was nothing but a field full of dead bodies. God had gone to fight for them. They did not have to fight. And it all started when they began to praise and thank God. And on top of all that, they went down there and the Bible said they were three days bringing back the spoils of all the gold and the silver and the jewels. I don't know why these three armies decided to go fight with their Rolex on and gold in their pockets and covered in diamonds. I don't know why these guys thought this was a good day to bring all their most costly, valuable stuff, but they did. And there was so much of it that it took three days to bring all this stuff back. What happens when you believe his, prof- his prophets? You will prosper even when you don't know what to do. What do you say? We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. Praise break. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We praise you and worship you, Lord. We praise you and worship you. We praise you and worship you. We praise you and worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There was a time in our ministry years ago when we were, go ahead, guys. We were busy building there in Fort Worth. We had bought a building and it was just a big empty metal building and we needed to build out some offices and and we built out several thousand square feet. But I remember coming and talking to accounting one day only to be told, hey, we are like next to zero left in the bank. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced that in our ministry. And I remember it trying to get all over me, like fear hitting me right in that moment. Are we going to have enough to finish this project? Are we going to have enough to pay our staff? Are we going to have enough to keep the ministry doors open? And I felt it try to sit on me like pressure, like a load of bricks on my shoulders. And I felt the fear hit me. But I did something in that moment. I said to everybody in our office, and I don't know what we had, maybe five, six employees at the time, Sarah and I, and I got the staff together. I said, let's go over here. We walked across the street to our TV studio. just a big empty square space. And I said, guys, we are going to praise the Lord. I said, we're going to take a praise break right now. And we just spent the next 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, just praising God and thanking God, thanking him for providing, thanking him for supplying, thanking him for bringing us partners to jump on board in this vision with us, thanking him for being faithful at every turn, thanking him for never letting us down, thanking him for bringing us up, thanking him for bringing us out. And we just spent, I don't know how long, probably half an hour, just praising him, praising him, praising him. I said, guys, praise break. Come on. We've got to praise the Lord. And I got to tell you, we did not run out. And from that moment forward, we began to increase and increase and increase and increase. And the Lord helped us change things and adjust things and get it right. We've got so much to be thankful for, church. We've got so much to be grateful for. In everything, give thanks. Now, in every situation, I know it and you know it. Not every situation is a good one. Not every situation is a favorable one. Not every situation looks like it's going to have a good result, but there is something to thank God for. There are two things you can be looking at in any situation, the problem or the provider. And depending on what you're looking at, your mouth will overflow either with complaints or with thanksgiving. If you've got your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If your eyes are on Jesus, you are going to overflow 
with thanksgiving. So one more time, let's lift up our hands and thank the Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.